Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 111 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Hey, this is a lot of fun. Today, I've got the first ever and maybe the only ever nuclear engineer from the U.S. Navy on my podcast. You know him better as Todd Wilson, uh, founder, creator of Exponential and many other things affiliated with so much. He has an impressive resume and his passion these days is to help leaders find their calling. And I don't know, I mean, if you're a pastor, that's one of the top questions you get, right? It's like, hey, what is my calling in life? And if you're like me, you're kind of like, well, love God, love people. I mean, Todd's got some really cool... (laughs) insight on this. And so if you're wondering about your calling or you're wondering how to answer that question, you probably want to listen. And so I'm excited about that. Uh, You can get everything we talk about in the show notes at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 111. And as you know, we have partners in this podcast and we're really grateful for the partners. We have a new one coming on next month that I want you to hear about. But you know who the partner is this week? It's you. It's you, the listener. I got to tell you, you guys uh, send me notes of encouragement. You, you send me uh, emails, Facebook messages, handwritten notes, thank you cards for this podcast. And it's so encouraging. But what encourages me in addition to that is maybe what God is doing in your life because you're a listener, a subscriber. And I know there are previous guests who got book deals out of this. It's like a publisher called them and said, hey, do you want to write a book about your story? Because the publisher was listening to this podcast. Others among you uh, have been inspired to write or to do something or to make changes. And this week, I got a letter and a book from Pastor Dow Tippett. And I want to read you part of the letter. And Dow, you really encouraged me. He says, Dear Carrie, over two years ago, I was introduced to the power of podcast through Brady Shearer, who's a friend of mine, a fellow Canadian, and his Pro Church Tools podcast. I think he had recorded eight episodes. And because of his choice of format and practical advice, I was hooked on podcasting, which is awesome, Dow. So am I. Dow continues. He said, soon I started listening to Christian leadership podcasting and I started with you. I guess Canadians have my ear. He's not a Canadian. I think he's an American. He said, how exciting to get a year into his podcast. He interviewed you, then you, him. And it was like having old friends together. Because of your show, my leadership podcasting list grew, Andy Stanley, Catalyst, Entree, Leadership, and more. But still, you and Brady have stayed in my weekly regimen as my Tuesday anchor. Now, in November of last year, one of those leadership podcasts talked about how to write a book in 30 days. Was that like Mark Batterson or was that another one? He says, I can't remember which one. I'm not sure I can either. But anyway, still, we're 111 episodes in. Hey, still in January, this is cool. So January of 2016, Dow says, I started writing and here is one of the last proof copies, which still needs an edit. I wanted to send it to you to say thank you. It releases October 1st. This book will be the foundation for four churches in our community to preach on the topic of submission. Man, Dow, that is so encouraging to me that, that, you know, and humbling that a show like this, a podcast like this would just encourage you to do something that you had in you, but you didn't really know how to get it out. And listening to that podcast, you got inspired. And I know for many of you, 
that's your story, right? You launched something, you did something, you got the courage to have the conversation you, you didn't want to have. And if, if that's your story, I just want you to know that's probably my favorite thing that happens as a result of this podcast. Yes, the conversations are rich. Yes, they're helpful. Yes, there's tips and strategy in the whole deal. But the hero, guess what, is you and what God's doing in you. So anyway, just wanted to say thank you for that, Dow. This is a great book. And if you've got something cool happening in your life as a result of listening, would you leave a comment in the show notes? Just go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 111. I'll be checking on those this week. So I'd love to hear from you. Also, I'm launching something brand new. I am launching a new podcast, a second one. This one's going to continue, but yeah, it's time to do a second one. And it is called the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. There's already a couple of preview episodes on iTunes. You can go just to iTunes and look for the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. You'll find it there. You can also search my name. That's probably how you'll find it. And it is designed specifically for Canadian church leaders. And I know the vast majority of you who listen are Americans and because I'm Canadian, I'm not going to exclude you, okay? You can, you can subscribe too. It's just going to be focused on the Canadian church. And that's because I'm a Canadian. I love the Canadian church. And I know we've got thousands of Canadian listeners every week as well. So if you're a Canadian listener, make sure you subscribe to that today because episode one launches next Monday. Monday, November 7th is launch day. I am super excited about that. And we are really pumped for the launch of this. We want to foster sort of a national dialogue about the church, and we hope it will, in the same way that this podcast is helpful for all church leaders, we hope that one will be especially helpful for Canadian church leaders. Now, why would you subscribe if you're not a Canadian church leader? Here's the only good reason, I think, because I think Canada is a little more postmodern and post-Christian than the United States. And if you want to look at a preview of what's happening in culture, a good way to look at that is through the lens of Canada. But anyway, for Canadian church leaders, this is for you. Super excited about that. We got a couple of preview episodes live already. So if you subscribe, you'll have something to listen to. So anyway, the Canadian church leaders podcast launching next week. And in the meantime, here's my conversation with Todd Wilson. Well, Todd, welcome, man. I'm so glad that you're here. I have never had a nuclear engineer on the show before. Well, Kerry, I have really been looking forward to this. So thanks for having me. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that I'm going to let you down as a nuclear no, no, engineer, no, no, I guess. No, no, this will be great. <laughs> I was going to say Navy SEAL, but nuclear engineer. You were part of the nuclear Navy. I didn't even oh, know there was a nuclear Navy. Oh, we were far more prestigious than the SEALs. Just <laughs> what is the nuclear Navy? What do you guys do? Well, uh, Admiral Rickover was the founder of what's called the nuclear Navy. So it's the propulsion for ships, for submarines, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the atomic like power, a nuclear powered sub. It's a nuclear powered sub, okay. nuclear powered aircraft carrier. Wow. What does that do? Does that make you go faster or is it a renewable source or what? Uh, it, it allows you, you know, for perspective, like submarines at this point, the new ones that are coming out never have to be refueled. They'll go their whole life with, with never having to have fuel other than the original core that's in. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, like in, you're in the middle of the Pacific, how do you refuel? Yeah, and you don't have, you pretty much can stay deployed. You're only really limited by your food supply at this point on, on the ships. So, oh, wow. So you're an engineer? Engineer by trade. I am one of those weird people that age 13 knew what I wanted to do with my life. I knew I wanted to be a nuclear engineer by the time I was 13. So, you know, Isn't that's that probably. Interesting? Yeah, it, it, uh, it played itself out. So I, uh, I was sitting in chemistry class in seventh grade and was mesmerized by the, t the chemistry teacher 
on a blackboard was drawing a picture of an atom and the neutrons, the protons, the electrons flying around. And I, it literally mesmerized me. It's like, how in the world could somebody know so much about something they can't see? Hmm. And I went home that day and said, boy, I, I want to be a nuclear engineer. And as we'll hear later in my story on, on calling, in reality, it wasn't my calling to be a nuclear engineer, but that experience gives insight to what my real calling is. Isn't that interesting? We are going to talk about calling because a lot of people uh, struggle with it and you've, you've done a lot of things with your life as an adult. Tell us a little bit about your time before ministry. Um, like give us the overview and then we're going to, you know, obviously you're the founder of Exponential and you've done many other things that our leaders listening would be familiar with. But uh, tell me about your time before ministry. Well, I uh, was not a Christian growing up. And like I said, by age 13, knew that I wanted to be a nuclear engineer, very driven, type A, knew what I wanted. College was in my way, you know, of, of getting to what I wanted to do. Uh, went off to North Carolina State in uh, North Carolina, got my nuclear engineering degree, met my wife there. Uh, we graduated one weekend and got married the next weekend. Uh, <laughs> I had been uh, accepted into the nuclear Navy, which was a very onerous interview process through the nuclear Navy to, to get in and was uh, went to work at the headquarters for the nuclear Navy. And the way it works, Carrie, Admiral Rickover was just a master at leadership development. He would only hire 22 year olds out of college. So was he still alive when you were in the nuclear Navy? He, he was alive, but had just, he, I, I ended up being hired by his successor. So I was wow. caught right in the transition. And to give you perspective, naval reactors, if, if you look at Jim Collins, six characteristics, of good to great organizations, uh, the nuclear Navy, naval reactors I was with meets all six. Wow. Uh, we, we were a good to great, built the last organization. Um, and so Admiral only Rickover, hires 22 year olds. Yeah. I don't want to let that go by. But to, to give you perspective, yeah. there were 350 engineers in naval reactors when I came in, most of whom, if you're there, you're there for a career. Um, the guy I went to work with had been there from day one and worked on the Nautilus, the first sub nuclear submarine all the way up to the end. And the attrition rate when I went in was three people a year out of 350. Wow. And for perspective, when you got in, you stayed there for your career. So what Admiral Rickover would do is he would bring in about 25 college graduates a year. And he was very picky. They recruited him from around the country, bring in 25. And your first five years, you were in the military as an officer. And what would happen is at the end of the five years, the admiral would handpick three of the 25 of that class to invite to stay to be part of the 350. Wow. So if you can picture the funnel, you know, they're very selective on the 25. Then of the 25, they handpick three of the 25 to invite to stay beyond the five years. Yeah. And so it's very much a cult-like culture. You're either in or you're not in. And it, it fit me. I mean, I loved the organization. I loved the culture. I immediately at age 22 looked um, futurist, you know, what's the path to be able to promote at this place? Um, you needed to go to a field organization, you know, out to one of the shipyards or one of our 
uh, field organizations away from Washington if you wanted a career promotion path. So that was the path I wanted to go on. I was fortunate to be one of the three that got picked to stay and uh, had several good mentors. And so at age 29, was sent out to one of the field activities and in my early 30s, took over overseeing one of the shipyards. So wow. I'm, I'm at like age 31, overseeing a 5,500-person shipyard, kind of the regulatory part of it and the operations piece for the nuclear Navy. And, and I can tell you that six-year run doing that, I probably learned more than you could learn in a lifetime of leading and overseeing and how organizations work. And at the same time, it probably took a couple decades off my life. <laughs> I intended to stay there the rest of my life. I mean, I, I loved it. And a strange thing happened in my mid-30s. I went through an early halftime experience. At halftime meaning, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Yeah. I've been pretty successful. Am I going to do this the rest of my career? made a decision, a tough decision, that I, I would leave and start a company uh, and do something different, and abruptly got pulled back to Washington, D.C., and when I did, you incur a two-year commitment to stay, and during that two-year time period back in D.C., the senior pastor at the church I'm at now really just started pressing on, boy, you need to come into ministry, you need to come into ministry, and for me, it was a crazy thing. It was like, why in the world would I do that? I don't have a Bible college background. I, I'm looking for upward mobility. I don't ever want to be a senior pastor. It's like a dead-ended thing. Um, <laughs> and, and I would just say this in terms of that part of the story, and we'll move on, is um, sometimes success is the thing that gets in the way. And for me, I... I was overseeing an activity at a younger age than I should. I was on a career promotion track. And what was causing my restless discontent was success. Hmm. It's this idea that what's next, what's more. And, and I think in that process, part of what God was speaking to me was, yeah, you could spend the rest of your life just climbing this hill of the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, but I've got something more significant for you. And and so that move sort of from climbing the success ladder and constantly trying to go up success to, wait a second, let's put to death that scorecard and go to a different scorecard was what happened to me in the mid-30s. And so you were Christian, you were attending a church, and you sensed a real significant shift in calling. Right. Wow. Right. Okay, yeah. so, so tell us about that wrestling with calling. You, mm -hmm. you mentioned it, I know. And by the way, for people who are fascinated in this part as I am, Todd and I have talked about it a couple times now. We'll have you back on a second time, and we're going to do a whole episode on leadership lessons from the nuclear Navy. Yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be <laughs> a lot of fun. So we're going to come back to that. Flag that, you know, next year, this time or whatever, we'll be back and we'll do a whole other episode. But we really want to focus on calling because this is something that you are super passionate about. And a lot of our leaders honestly, are confused about it. It's like, am I in the right job? Um, I thought this was a calling or have, have I got a calling? I just did this because I signed up. And this works not just in ministry, but like in like for you as, as a member of the nuclear Navy, calling was a big part of your story. So you're in the middle of your 30s and all of a sudden you start to wrestle with this halftime experience, as Bob Buford would call it. What, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Uh, and, and here's what happened for me at that point, Carrie, relative to calling. What I desperately wanted was clarity. 
I, I prayed for, God, show me a job description. Show me how I could be used in ministry. You know, give me, I wanted the right. job description. There was no job description. Even uh, Brett Andrews, the senior pastor who was mentoring me into it, did not want to give me a job description. Uh, felt like it would limit things. So one issue for me was was this paralysis of God, I'll act when I can see the picture. The second thing that was happening for me, and I think we all have our specific issues, you know, not even relative to full-time ministry, but just what the next step for us is. What are the barriers? Is that an engineer thing? Like, uh, show me? It could absolutely be an engineer thing. Might be hmm. the show me. And I, I think we're all wired a little bit differently, but however we're wired, there are barriers to taking steps to the next thing. There's something that's a barrier. And there were two barriers for me. One was clarity. Give me the picture. And I'm a visual person. I want to see the picture of something. The second was money. Um, I'm 30 some years old. I'm making great money with retirement benefits, with, you know, kids in private school, great house, all the, the stuff. Ministry made no sense at all. My wife and I many times made a two-column list. One side was the current path in the Navy, and the other side was ministry. And it was a crazy score. It never made any sense at all. Um, for perspective, 18 years later now today, it's been 18 years since I made that, that step, I don't make as much money today as I did 18 years ago in the Navy. And that's not wow. counting inflation. Yeah, that's just, yeah, it's just real dollars. It, it, it's real dollars. And so those two things were the wrestling match for me that uh, at the end of the day, and I think it's what does unite us all in, in calling, is God wants the surrender of our heart. What God wants is surrender to whatever the barriers are. Mind happened to be clarity and money. And when we made the step, when we sensed we have to do this, it's an obedience thing to God to make the step. We thought we would probably end up in bankruptcy. We figured we'd lose our house. We'd drain everything. Um, now, it didn't turn out that way, but, but that's what we had to get to a point of being willing to do it, thinking that was going to be the case. Now, here's the interesting thing on clarity. Had God given me what I wanted, which was the clarity, give me the picture of what I'm going to do in ministry— Honestly, looking back over 18 years, it would have scared me away from it. I'd be like, that's crazy. I, there's no way I'm going to do the stuff that you're talking about. So I think sometimes God only gives us what we can handle in the, yeah. in the, in the clarity part. And for me, that was absolutely the case. What part of what you ended up doing would have scared you when you were well, what, 34, 35? It, here, again, this comes back to the real true calling piece. Picture... For 15 years, you're in the nuclear Navy, which is the most highly disciplined process, requirements, follow the rules, check things off the list. It does not get any more disciplined than the nuclear Navy. As soon as I went into ministry, an entrepreneurial switch went off. And I mean, in, in the 10 years that followed my step into ministry, I was involved in either starting or re-engineering 10 national ministries well, in 10 okay. years. Like and what? so like what? Uh, we, we started a nonprofit uh, marketing organization that was doing over a million dollars in revenue within a year or two of starting. We started a project management company for church plants that uh, sort of transformed some of the way church planting was was done, helped re-engineer a couple of national church planting organizations. Um, we started uh, 
a separate ministry out of a couple actually out of our church for providing services for things. So there was a series of entrepreneurial things that happened back to back that had had God given me the picture of all those things. Exponential is another thing that mm-hmm. started out of Just that a small thing. Yeah. Um, and so that series of entrepreneurial things, if I would have looked at the collective of that picture, it, it definitely would have scared me. I'd have been like, this doesn't make sense, you know, from it where I just what been like overwhelming or, or what? Um, I think it would have been unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, you know, to go from where I had been to that, you know, I have no marketing background, but I'm starting a marketing company. I'm starting a project management company. I'm starting an equipment ministry, yeah, starting a church planting organization. So let's do a deep dive into calling. Okay. How did you know your time with the nuclear Navy was up? And how did you come to believe that God was calling you into ministry? Well, there, it was a two-year process, Carrie, and I really sought counsel during the time just to have mm-hmm. people speaking into my life. And the combination of people speaking into my life and me just having, I, I can't call it anything other than a discontent, just the sense that I'm not where I'm supposed to be, but I don't know where I'm supposed to be. That kept the door open to the, to the God part of it. Where's God fit in this? And there were a series of different things that happened with God kind of revealing things to me. Um, and it culminated in, we got to a point where I would be riding on the train to work. And you've seen those commercials with a little devil and a little angel on the show. And I'm not kidding you. I would, I would hear a voice in one ear saying, this is the right thing. Trust me. You need to do this. I would hear what you would expect of God kind of whispering in your ear. And immediately I would hear, you're a nut. You're crazy. This is going to mess up your family. (laughs) And so there's this confusion that's now on top of the issues of money and and clarity. I'm feeling this confusion. So our, my senior pastor, my wife, they're like, you need to get away for a few days and really pray and fast. Um, and so Troy and Janet McMahon, Troy was the first campus pastor for Dave Ferguson in uh, Chicago, Illinois. Troy led me to Christ. The first, he, he and I went to the nuclear Navy together the first day. And so I had this journey with Troy Troy had left the marketplace and gone into ministry. And so my wife's like, you need to go spend some time with Troy and Janet out at Community Christian for a few days. That happens to be by Willow Creek. Before I was a Christian, my mother took me to Willow Creek when it was in the movie theater. Hmm. We lived just down the street from where Willow Creek is now. So I flew out to Chicago and literally had a couple of days in prayer and fasting at Willow Creek and then with Troy and Janet. And the last night I was there... I'm dejected. I'm not feeling any clarity. <laughs> and and Troy and Janet are like, why don't you go over to Willow tomorrow and go to the neighborhood you grew up in? And all I can say, Carrie, is that I, I went to the park where I grew up, mm-hmm. the neighborhood I grew up, down the street from my house. And I took a piece of paper and a clipboard with me. I did the two columns. I, and I just said to God, God, if you want me to do this, you need to answer some questions for me. I, and I wrote down the questions I needed answered. And I don't even know how to describe what happened at that point. God did not answer any of my questions. <laughs> All right. But what okay. he did in an overwhelming way 
he spoke to me audibly and said, trust me. Like it's this trust me. And, and he took me back to about 20 years earlier when I was in that park and I was looking up one day and I was looking at the clouds and the cl- I, I thought to myself as a kid, the clouds are never in history going to be this way again. Yeah. And God reminded me of that. And he said, look up at the sky today and think to yourself, how much of your life today is like what you thought it would be 20 years ago when you were in this park? And I said to God, none of my life's the way I thought it would be 20 years ago. And he said to me a convicting thing. He said, and how much of your life do you think will be in 20 years the way you think it's going to be today? Wow. And the answer is, I have no control over what my life's really going to look mm-hmm. like in 20 years. And I know this sound. I'm not a charismatic person, Carrie, so yeah. I know this sounds crazy. But he, he then said to me, look down the street. And I, and it was a cul-de-sac that I grew up on. And he, he literally said to me audibly, the names and the faces are all different down this street, but the problems are the same. The problems that these people have of their sinfulness and their problems in life, they need me. And, uh, I've got something for you that I want you to do. And so out of this experience was this trust me and in God's humor, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I'm still, uh, I got in the car. I went to pull away from the curb, went down to the first stoplight, pulled up behind this old red Ford pickup truck. And there's one bumper sticker on the back of the car. And it says, just decide with an exclamation point. And I, <laughs> I, I'm done. I'm going into ministry, and that—that uh, uh, that was it. <laughs> well, I think there's uh, tens of thousands of church leaders who are pretty glad you had that experience. I'll tell you, isn't that fascinating? You know, because you interviewed me on your podcast about calling, and we'll link to all of that in the show notes. And you know, I made a change uh, last year from sort of lead pastor to founding and teaching pastor, and it was a summer of wrestling, a summer of prayer. And I didn't, I didn't, did you have like an audible voice? Because I feel like I heard from God, but I, I wouldn't say it was like an audible voice. It was a prompting, but it was a real conversation. Like it was actual conversations. Yeah, You know, Kerry, I, I don't know how to describe this. Like it, it, it wasn't audible in that I think you could record it on a recording, but it was more than a thought. It was clear. It was clear. It was like an external and it, voice. An and external, it was like an yeah. external voice. It yeah. was clear, but it probably wasn't a voice that would show up on, uh, on an audio recording. And I've had this happen to me twice in my life. I had it happen in that park that day. And I've had it happen in the prompting to write this book on calling that I worked on for five years. It, really? I've had it happen twice. Wow. Hey, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not a terribly charismatic person either. We've talked about that. But like there have been a couple seasons in my life where I had to decide to make the jump from law into ministry. And then, you know, sort of in this most recent phase where I can honestly say I feel like I heard from God. And it's so funny because a lot of that was like I kept hearing, trust me. Trust me, trust yeah. me. And to look back to say, okay, did you think your life would look out like this? Did I use you? Yeah. Well, then look forward. It's just, it's really interesting. But you must have asked the question, did I just swallow the crazy pill? Like, am I nuts? 
Did oh, you I, ask yourself that question? Oh, that's you're that, an engineer. Like, that two-year time period, yeah. that was the theme for me. This is crazy. It makes no right. sense. Like, why in the world would you would you do this? And here's what's interesting, Carrie. I mean, you and I have talked about this. We want that audible. We want that clarity. Mm-hmm. We want God to do what he did to Abraham, pack your bags and go. I mean, that's what we want. We want it to be that clear. But here's the reality. In your life, when we did your your thing. Mm. There is a pattern throughout your life of influencing leaders. It goes all the way back to when you were a little kid. And what we sometimes miss, our, our lives are like books. God's the author. There's, there are themes and sub themes, chapters and sections. All we have to do is look at the story God has already written in the first 25 chapters of our life and we see his handiwork, we see his voice, we see his creativity, the calling and what he's got for us is already embedded there. Which is uh, really interesting, and we'll link to that interview you did with me of my calling in, in the show notes, so you can just go to that at, at kerryneuhoff.com. But I think what you're saying, I just want to underscore, like, you know, you were 13 years old, you got this nuclear Navy idea, and you thought that calling, if, I, if I'm understanding you right, was about, well, I'm going to be a nuclear engineer. Right. Right. I don't even know. I didn't even know there were nuclear engineers until like I met you. But anyway, I didn't know that at 13, but you did. And so you think your whole life is about becoming a nuclear engineer, but you learn all these leadership principles that all of a sudden in your mid thirties, you unleash in the church for great, great impact. Right. And, and I would say, Carrie, the, the subtle distinction here that, that I think is important to get our hands around we are conditioned in the West. We're conditioned. If you think about the pioneering spirit of America, mm-hmm. it's all about the do. What do we do? What do you do? Mm-hmm. It kind of thing. So the, the being an engineer is really what I'm going to do. I'm going to do engineering. I'm going to do the nuclear Navy. It really isn't by itself who I'm created to be. The, yeah. There's a difference between who we're created to be and all of the characteristics that transcend our different domains of life on who we're created to be compared with what we're made to do. And we condition ourselves, our kids, to really focus on the doing part, not on the being part. And, And so I think that's where we can go off track. When we can tap into who we're created to be, it's for you where you can get the clarity from moving from being a founding pastor in that role of doing to being in the role of influencing leaders and equipping other leaders, that move and what's at the core that you're made to influence leaders, that that's at the core of who you're made to be, which should then influence what we do and the decision of what we do. Right. For me, up until I was 13, I wanted to be an architect. I can't even tell you why I wanted to be an architect because I couldn't draw. I seriously (laughs) couldn't draw. All of a sudden, I see a teacher draw a picture of an atom, and I want to be a nuclear engineer. Um, Now, I can look back in retrospect, and the core theme that you'll see throughout my life, this entrepreneurial spirit of I'm futuristic and strategic. I see a picture of what could be, and I activate it or work on activating it. And then I move on to the next picture. Well, here's what's happening. And again, this is all after the fact. What does an architect do? What they do is they take a vision or a picture 
and turn it into a picture for people. Hmm. They take a blank sheet and make a picture. What did that teacher do that day? They took a blank blackboard, drew a picture of something they had never seen, and talked intelligently about something they had never seen. Hmm. I was mesmerized in both of those cases by that, that, that what it did was it tapped into who I'm created to be. I'm created to envisage opportunity. Envisage means to create an image or a picture sure. of a future possibility. Well, if that's who I'm created to be, then I've got to look at what I do in light of, of that, meaning I filter the opportunities of what I choose to do. Dude, does this help others create pictures or images of future possibilities? So think about church planting, starting yeah. exponential what better application in the kingdom than starting new churches relative to a blank sheet of paper mm. where you have an opportunity to create a picture of something and then activate it to happen? Yeah, that's church planting. That's the that's the marketing things I did fit into that. The project management for church planting fit into that. I can go back and show you how many of the entrepreneurial things I engaged in actually. They look like a whole bunch of different doing, but they link to this idea that I'm made to envisage opportunity. You're created a certain way. I'm created a certain way. So do you think most people, because this is really helpful, like, do you think most people listening could look back through their life and see consistencies in things that otherwise at first blush seem totally different? Hey, nuclear engineer, ministry. Right. What do these two have anything to do together? But you found the thread. Are you saying there's a thread in almost everyone's life? It, it, I would say it's absolutely 100% take it to the bank certain what you just said. And okay. I would say it, there's two kinds of patterns you'll see in your background. You'll see the things that just resonate with your spirit. You'll see the things where, oh, that just made sense. I was having such a great time with that, and I mm. see how it fits. Mm. And then likewise, sometimes we learn the most from the seasons of time where it felt like a misfit. So uh, especially to our core values, um, the disconnect between some of the ministries or some of the organizations, some of the seasons, and where we feel like we're not fitting, in reality, it is telling us something about our calling. It's, right. it's just that it's that from the negative. We're moving away from it. We're moving we're, away we're, from we're, it. We're off stream here. Yeah, right. and so the way that looked in your life, right, you, this idea that at first you thought it was an architect, but really you were just attracted to this idea of creating something that you could see in the future, and then that became engineering and that became ministry. I mean, you're planting churches. You're realizing a dream that's a lot bigger than just your dream. It's the kingdom, the kingdom coming to life in our lifetime. And, and not just a church that you're going to lead, but like literally thousands of churches that you've inspired to start and grow and, and be effective in their mission. You look back at me influencing leaders, and I've always done that through communication, you know, at 12 years old, wanting to be in the radio and then getting a job in radio at 16 and then, you know, doing law, but really being attracted to the courtroom side of law and being in court almost every day for the year that I was in law. And then, you know, theology, a lot of people say I led my church by preaching, and that's one of the things I've hung on to in my new role. I love preaching. And what am I doing? A podcast, which sounds an awful lot like radio, and I'm writing, which is very consistent with what I've done in the past. Like, that's an expression of God's gifting. And you would say, for some, it won't be being an engineer. It won't be, but, you know, I got a son who's 20, who's 
when he was very little, was very organized, right? Like just like, hey, what time is it? And uh, what time is it now? And what time do we need to be there? And how long will it take us to get there? He's studying accounting right now. And I mean, the guy doesn't let anything slip through the cracks. And he's so hyper-disciplined and you know, he's, he's finished studying for his exams three months in advance. And when I look back on it, well, more like three weeks or three days, but still, you know, what kid, I wasn't done in advance when I was his age, but I look back on it and I can see the fingerprint of God. Like that was his, that was his DNA when he was three years old. Yeah. I, here's, here's my take on that. I, a transformative moment for me was about seven years ago. Um, Bob Buford, who, who wrote the book Halftime and is founder of Leadership Network, um, I, was, I was connected with Bob, and Bob wanted me to do some part-time work for, with him. And we really had a kindred spirit, shared values, and I was resistant to working with him more than a small amount of time. And Bob said to me, I want you to be 100% in your sweet spot for the for the 20% of time you'll work with me. And here's what happened when he said that, um, the idea of a sweet spot, and, and maybe this is the engineering part of me, but I want you to be a hundred percent in your sweet spot. Three simultaneous things happen. First was yes, a job that I could be a hundred percent in my sweet spot. Right. And he defined that as I only want you to do what you're made to do. I don't want you doing anything you're not made to do in the time you're working for me. So I'm thinking, oh, I don't have to book my own travel. I don't have to do travel. (laughs) You know, I'm thinking this is unbelievable. And immediately a second emotion hit, which was, um, oh, um, why am I, or I'm sorry, how would I know? Like, how would I know if I was a hundred percent in my sweet spot? What's that mean? Yeah. And then the third thing was, uh, why in the world am I getting so excited about spending 20% of my time in my sweet spot? That caused me to really look at the idea of a sweet spot and what is a sweet spot. And here's what's interesting in nature thousands of sweet spots. The microphone you're talking into right now has a sweet spot. The room you're in has an acoustic sweet spot. Baseball bats have them. Every sweet spot in the world has three elements to it that God's made. It has a position, a design, and a purpose. Hmm. So if you think about position, design, and purpose, um, a sweet spot is nothing more than integrating uh, a purpose, a design, and a position. Go back to man in the Garden of Eden. He's got a perfect position with a perfect purpose. Uh, He's got all three of those things. In the fall of man, man lost those three things. Lost the position he was in, lost his purpose in work. Now it'll be, will be uh, uh, toil and lost the design of being intimately uh, in relationship with God. Hmm. And what have we done ever since? We lost our sweet spot and now our our discontent on this side of eternity is longing to function back in the sweet spot that we were made to have. And so I, uh, I think what happens for us is we get so focused on the doing and the legacy and the accomplishing of doing that we skip over this idea of who's God made me to be like the strengths, the passions, and that's where the fingerprint on the storyline of our life fits in. That's hmm. where your son, who's got certain characteristics of paying attention to detail and, and the different things, 
all we have to do is look back at the story God has already written in our lives, and it reveals pretty good clarity on who we're made to be. Interesting. So, you know, leaders listening right now are processing this through their personal filters or maybe somebody that they're trying to come alongside and help them discern that. Are you naturally blind to what you're best at? Like, or, yeah. or like, how do you figure that out? Cause I'm sure a lot of people are like, well, I'm just not good at anything. Um, I, I blind might be the right word. I, I, I'm not sure what word I'd put on exactly, but here's what I would suggest, Carrie. If the, if, for the pastors that are listening, mm-hmm. the average pastor does not have clarity on their calling. Really? They've got clarity on what, maybe what they're made to do, but they don't have clarity on who they're made to be. Okay. Help me with the distinction. What does that actually look like? Okay. Um, a, take the pastor who just, I'm called to preach. Right. I'm called to preach. Okay. Well, is, is being called to preach a B element of who I'm created to be, or is it the do element of what I'm made to do? It's a whole lot easier to get our hands around the tangible, what I'm made to do. I'm made to, to do engineering. I'm made to do entrepreneurial startup things. Um, it's a lot harder. It takes harder work to see how those do elements link to a bigger picture of how our passions, our strengths, our gifts fit together. Okay. I, I think if we could go do a study on this, we would see that much of the discontent that happens for pastors is they're in the middle of doing what they believe they're made to do, but they may be out of sync with how that doing should have a context in who they're created to be, the context for it. Do you think some of that maybe is related to the fact that most pastors have a generalist job description? In yes. other words, I need to preach, I need to do pastoral care, I need to lead the meetings. And I mean, I did that for four, five, six years, maybe seven years. And as I got into that, I just realized, man, I'm not good at most of this. And a lot of this is draining to me. And so what I've done as our church has grown is I've just turned more and more of my job description into what I'm good at and given away other aspects of the ministry. And- and eventually carry exactly what you're describing. It, we, we, if you start with, there's a whole lot of things pastors need to, in your word, need to do because it comes yeah. with the generalist job. Over time, they try desperately to cut out some of the things they don't want to do to get more focused on the things they do want to do. Right. And if you can stick around long enough, by process of elimination, you might find yourself getting more clarity on the be, who you're created to be, that you right. you work. And But look at the paradigm for getting there. It's through the lens of doing. That's what I say. We're conditioned. I don't like doing that, so let me try to get rid of doing that. I like doing this, so let me try to do more of that. And in your take your case, where I, I believe at the core of your be is – is this idea of influencing leaders in some way. Okay. Now being in the pulpit, you can influence leaders, but that, that doesn't mean that the context of preaching and, and that context brings to life the influencing leaders, the way you're created to be. There may be a different context or a different way of doing that. But for a lot of pastors who have this general sense that I'm called the pastor, they, 
they may never get to the point of making the distinction where, the, okay, I've got to tolerate all these other things so I can do this thing I think I'm supposed to do. And is that inherent frustration when yes, you're that, spending I, 60, 70% of your time doing something that you're not created to be or do? Right. I believe okay. that's the case. So, so help. Let, let's get through the confusion for a moment because a lot of this is in your head and you have a high degree of self-awareness and you know we've already both admitted that we think we heard from God, which probably <laughs> tuned out a few leaders at that point. Yep. And again, that's out of character for you. It's out of character for right. me. I'm a very logical, didactic person. That's just how I flow. So, I mean, I'm not one of those people. I pray and read my Bible daily, but it's not like, okay, Lord, yes, first I will go to the supermarket and then I will do this. Like, it's just like, okay, I need groceries. I'm going to go to the grocery store. It's very logical, right? So where do other voices, like what is the counterbalance to that? Because some people are like, oh, thank goodness. Someone who heard from God, other people are like, woo, people who hear from God are crazy. How did you make sure that that wasn't a voice in your head? And like, how did you use third party because you said you really rely on a circle of wise counsel. When I discerned a year ago this change in direction for my next decade in a new role at Conexus and then a little more time for this kind of stuff, um, you know, I probably had 12 to 20 people on my inner circle that I was processing this with and going, am I crazy? Am I missing something? What do you guys see? Will you pray about it? Will you speak into me? And we all ended up really in the same place by the end of the summer that, yep, this is an early move for you, but you should make it. And that's why I did it. Yeah. I, I don't think we need to complicate it too much. I mean, I think that inner circle you're referring to, that's important. I, I had the same inner circle of a handful of people. It, it's to help you. In my case, it was probably more the confusion of the, this is crazy. Right. And and help me process through the, it, this makes no sense logically. There is no sense to it kind of thing. Um, and I think it could be because I am such a logical engineer kind of person. Mm -hmm. It might be why God had to hit me between the eyes more with, more of a speaking to me clearly because I'm logical and it wasn't making logical sense. Um, most important for me though, Carrie, was my wife, Anna. Mm -hmm. Um, here's the reality. Uh, I, I don't care what kind of house I live in. I, there's so many of the factors that impact the spouse more than impact you True. that, um, I needed to, also have that sense that Anna was there. And that was the final thing for us. I, you know, I thought this is going to be impossible for her. Um, as soon as she had the sense that God was in this, she was a complete, it was, we have to do this. We're not wow. going to be obedient if we don't. And so, um, I, I think that spousal support part, I think that is so important that, I would suggest to people who are thinking of moving forward with what they believe their calling is that if their spouse isn't in it, I would be very careful about moving forward in something and until, and, and I realize yeah. I, I'm talking the case, even where God is calling the person to do it. I think you've got to be careful about the process of getting the spouse's affirmation. Yeah. You got to honor the relationship. Yeah. I've heard over and over on the calling podcast that I do Many of the people I interview that just affirm the spousal part that it's, you know, once the spouse speaks into it, um, it's clear. The other thing that happens, and we can't underestimate this, I I do a process called life planning with people, and I've probably done 25 of those with leaders across the country. Um, 
And, and I'll also say at the exponential conference every year, people will come up to me and say, man, thank you. Thank you. When Matt Chandler said, and, and they'll say a sentence, it's, it's changed my trajectory of how I see things. And I'll, and in my head, I'm thinking, well, I never heard Matt Chandler say that. <laughs> and if he did, that's bizarre that that would change your trajectory. But here's the reality. When I do life planning, the number of times that when guys are guys and gals are looking back at their story, the story written in their life, there is a person, a close advisor, somebody in the inner circle that you're talking about. And it just takes one thing that they say that really can open your eyes and your heart to what God's trying to say. Yeah. Um, Brad Lominick from Catalyst. You no, know, he I had know the Brad. inner circle when he was making the move beyond the head of Catalyst to what he's doing now. And a couple of his close advisors, just a couple of sentences of feedback that they give them, I think are how God uses the people around you in the close circle to, to make a difference. I think that's true. It's interesting on public speaking too, the number of times over the decades where somebody has come to me and said, Hey, you know, when you said in that message, blank, blank, blank. And I'm like, at first I would say, I'm, I didn't say that. And then I kind of realized, you know what, I'm just going to be quiet because I think maybe the Holy spirit was saying something to that person different than what I was saying. And that's happened numerous times where people are, remember when you said, I'm like, sure. I remember when I said that, but you know, it's, it's, it's neat how that happens. Okay. So what about, this is sort of life direction we've been talking about. So there's some leaders who are stuck in jobs they don't like. There are pastors who are in churches where they're going, Hmm, is God calling me to move? How the heck do you know? Yeah. My advice for people, I, I use this framework called be, do, go, which are the three elements of a sweet spot. Be, who am I created to be? That's a design. How has God's handiwork shown itself? You know, Ephesians yeah. 2.10, we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Um, so there's the be element of my design. There's the do element of my purpose that God's made some unique good works and deeds for me to be involved in. And then there's the position part that we should walk in. Where do we position ourselves to do it? My advice for people is to is to let the overflow of decisions start with B. Who am I created to be? What's the design God's got in me? My, my unique gifts, my strengths, my passions, my burdens. Um, those need to overflow to what we do and then finally to where we go. And the go is the position part. Where do we position ourselves? So often if you think about it, here's what happens with our kids and it translates to us. We see in our kids certain gifting. One of my boys was really smart. One of my boys loves sports. So what do we do with our kids? My, my son that could win on Jeopardy, you know, we get him into science fairs and hmm. all of the science things. My son who is good in sports, we get him into the sports and we try to push them to what they're good in. And we send them off to college and say, we're going to spend a lot of money on you. Now you need to figure out what you're going to do and get mm -hmm. good at it. Now, what happens when they come out of college? The single biggest issue is I got to find a job. I got, where am I going to go? Where am I going to position myself? So we spend all this time on the do and the go. And our kids are not equipped in the be who they're uniquely made to be. And then we're surprised after they've been in the marketplace for 10 to 20 years 
why they have a midlife crisis, why they're, oh my goodness, is this what I'm really made yeah. to, to do? And so my advice is we've got to break that cycle of dysfunction where when I'm feeling like I'm in the wrong place or I'm doing the wrong thing, our tendency can be, well, let me find another job. Let me find another position. Or it can be, let me do something different. Mm -hmm. But but if you think about it, we're just sort of shooting in the dark a little bit if we don't go back to understanding who we're created to be. In, in my case, this envisaging opportunity, I am created and God's gifted me uniquely to, to see around the next corner in opportunity and create pictures of possibility out of it. Well, yeah. if I go take a job, I can go to the coolest place on the planet and get the coolest sounding job. But if it doesn't bring to life creating a picture or an image of future possibilities for people, it's just a matter of time before I'm going to be unhappy again. Right. So you could get a job that pays more than you made in That's right. uh, dollars at the uh, nuclear Navy right. and be miserable. And deny That's exactly your right. So what you're saying, if I, if I hear this right, to the leader who's like, man, this is my third church or, you know, this is my second career change. I'm still not happy. What should I do? Could that actually go right back to, I don't really know who I am. I don't know how God wired me. I don't know what my unique gifting is. And when you're not clear on that, if there's no clarity around that, whatever you do next is probably going to be a misfire. Is that what you're saying? That is exactly what I'm saying. Okay. I'm saying before you just go down another path, especially when the path involves doing and going, the doing right. and going part. Make sure you've got clarity on the being part. Who am I uniquely made to be? What's the design? What are my passions? What are my burdens? And and what am I good at? Because it, it's those things that are going to shape and influence where you can do the best things and in the best positions. So a leader's going, I have no clue. How do they figure that out? Well, that's where... Um, you know, here's the difficulty in the answering that. You've got uh, a number of resources out there on calling. You know, we always want to come back to the Bible, uh, obviously, but, good but idea. In, in our lifetime, you know, you've got Oz Guinness, who wrote the book, The Call, which I think is one of the better theological frameworks. It's a very sound uh, perspective, at least getting the context. You've got Rick Warren with the inspiration of calling, the purpose-driven life, which is rah-rah, you have a purpose. But where the rubber meets the road for people is, so, you know, what do I do for me? Like, how do I turn yeah, yeah, this yeah. into action? And that's where um, I think the life planning process, there's a number of different people that do life planning out there. Um, there's a process called the Patterson life planning process, which I think is probably the best one I've seen out there. Um, it comes from the perspective of your life is a book. God's the author. Um, what people have to be careful about, and this is just where I would strongly encourage, um, Oz Guinness said to me when I started writing my book on calling, he asked me this question. He said, are you just going to write another self-centered narcissistic book on calling? <laughs> and I'm like, really? What, what are you talking about? He's like, well, most resources that you're in on calling are self-help books for people to feel better about things. Hmm. And so I, I do think the resources that we choose to use and look at, we've got to be very careful and say, what's the motive in this author? What's the framework or context of this resource? And is it about 
God and bringing to life God's uniqueness in you and God's purpose in you. If we come back to, you know, I think each person's got to sort of figure out their definition of calling because unfortunately we don't get a 11th commandment in the Bible that says the definition of calling is such and such. And And so you should blank and you should. So um, if we do look contextually at calling in the Bible, I think what we find church historians, and I think it's right, there's primary calling and secondary calling. Primary calling are those things that are common to all Christians all the time, everywhere. Right. And, and if I can just say briefly, that's we're called to be children of God right. who honor, that's the B, called who to honor, love. Yeah, mm-hmm. called to love, who honor him in everything we do. That's the doing part, wherever we are, the position part. So children of God, that's a, a, posi- you know, a design to honor him wherever we are. Or if I put it in discipleship terms, we're called to be disciples of Jesus with the fullness of Jesus in us mm-hmm. who make disciples the doing, carrying the fullness of Jesus to others wherever we are. Yeah. That that context of being disciples who make disciples where we are, that's common to all Christians everywhere all the time. Now, we all have a unique or secondary calling, which is God's unique handiwork and whisper into our life, how he's equipped us uniquely to play our role in carrying the fullness of Jesus everywhere. And so that, that unique part of calling, um, I would encourage people to really, whatever definition they land on, sort of embrace what is my context of what calling even means in my life. For me personally, calling is responding to God's handiwork in my life of how he has equipped me to play a unique role in his mission in the world. Right. So Patterson, you mentioned that resource? The Patterson Life Planning Center. It's the Patterson Center is what it's called. We'll link to that in the show notes and we'll link to your book on calling too, which is, which a really, really good resource. Yeah. My book is more, uh, spent about five years writing it, uh, uh, and that was prompted out of Bob Buford's question to me on when on Sweet Spot when he said, "I want you to function in Sweet Spot." So I spent about five years really pressing into this idea of a Sweet Spot and what if we have a Sweet Spot and what's the biblical framework for it. So I based the book off both John ten ten when Jesus said, "I came to have life and have it to the full." Some versions say more abundantly. Yep. Um, and in reality, the Greek there. It's the difference between having life and taking hold of it. We can have life just passively, but taking hold of abundant life is an active thing on our part. Yeah. So, Okay, so you also on your podcast have interviewed some great leaders. I mean, you did interview Oz Guinness, Rick Warren, um, Francis Chan. Interview with me, Francis Chan, Brad Lominick, Tom Rayner, Jenny Catron. I mean, you've interviewed a lot of really interesting people, so you're starting to see commonalities here. What are two or three, and and this will be the almost final question, but what are two or three of the commonalities in some of these great leaders who are like, hey, this is what is consistent in their understanding of calling? Yeah. Um, uh, There's a couple of things. This idea that God's writing a story in your life, if you simply will do the uh, an exercise called I Remember When, Okay. Go back to the earliest age you can remember of things you remember that shaped your thinking of what you wanted to do in life. Okay. Um, 
virtually everyone that I've interviewed, when they go back to their earliest childhood memories, um, Tom Rayner, uh, he was a third generation banker. His grandfather, his dad, he was going to be a banker. He wanted to do the business world. And he remembers elements of that that end up shaping his journey ultimately into ministry. But then at Lifeway, where he is now, he's kind of got a foot on both sides of the line. It's sort of a business and a ministry context. Totally. And, and, um, William Vanderblumen from the Vanderblumen Search Group. Same thing. You go back to the youngest age. Brad yeah, he was a serial Lominick, entrepreneur. Serial entrepreneur. Um, Brad Lominick, who, you know, connecting leaders. You go back and hear his earliest memories and some of the things that happened to him before he even got clarity on what he wanted to do in life. And God has embedded those things there all the way back into oh, and our and he can't life. help himself. I spent yesterday with Brad Lominick, and, you know, we're in this hotel lobby in Chicago, and he's like, you got to meet this guy. You got to meet this guy. Like, he just can't stop. That's who God made him to be. And that's why I, Catalyst became the great thing that it has become under his leadership, because he was able to bring uh, disparate people together and create something much bigger. And And I would say the second thing, then, is... Use Brad as an example. You, any of the guys you mentioned from the podcast, as they got clarity on what that mm. core element of who they're created to be is, that then strategically shaped the roles and the jobs, the doing and the going right. part of what they would do. Yeah, because the, and then because that flowed, the doing and the going flowed out of the being, it's a natural fit. You don't get tired of it. That is exactly, and that has happened in every podcast interview that I've done. I mean, you see that in in every case. Um, and then I would say a third thing uh, that's there with with it is it, it's just it repeats over and over how there's one, two, three, four people in your life that just a, in, in the strangest ways can say a sentence, can say something, can can speak something into your life that that's the is a truth that God's trying to get across to you. Um, I put it this way: uh, for my, you and I have kids the same age. Your, yours are twenty and twenty four. Mine are twenty one and twenty four. The most consistent prayer I prayed almost every day of my kids' lives, especially from the teen years on. God, please put the right people in the right place at the right time in their life. Put the right person in front of them. And here's the reality. I can look at everybody I've done a podcast interview with, and I can show you and tell you the names of the people that were the right people at the right place mm -hmm. in their life. And then we realize, well, wait a second. That's just not a select few. God has orchestrated the right people at the right place in all of our lives. Right. All we have to do is look for look back for those clues at where they are. And even more challenging is we are the right people in the right place for someone at the right else. time for someone else. Yeah. And that doesn't have to be like a famous person. It doesn't mean Andy Stanley, you know, got your cell phone number and called you one day. It could be, you know, your grade school teacher, or it could be your youth group leader. It could be your next door neighbor or your wife or, you know, your best friend that just speaks into you. It's the people around you. Actually, Kerry, I would say of all the podcast interviews I've done on the backstory of different leaders' lives, rarely is it a famous name. Yeah. 99% yeah. of the time, it's, an, it, it's, you know, you think about the man who is carrying the jar that in, in the Bible that 
the everyday guy that the disciples talk to to get the upper room where Jesus right, did half of right. his teaching, okay? He's this nameless guy carrying a jar. And and I wrestle in my mind was like was like that his calling like the reason he existed was to like be the one who Get pointed the, the disciples to the upper room and it's like here's this nameless person are we willing to preach. be the nameless person that that carried the jar that pointed the disciples to the upper room and here's the reality the question are we willing to be no we are yeah. <laughs> okay, we are that person it's not are we willing to be Good, Todd. That's so good. Well, this has been tremendously clarifying. And I think for leaders who are confused, just look back, look for that common thread. What is the one thing you keep doing? Now, a final word, Todd, for the generalist. So somebody stuck in a small church, you know, 50 people, 75 people, it's like, I can't specialize. I can't be a teaching pastor. I can't be a uh, blah, blah, blah. What, 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 you know, it's like, I got all these parts of my job and it could be that you work at Starbucks or it could be that, you know, you're a manager in a large company or something like that. But there are things you have to do, you know, you don't, you don't have the ability to write your own job description. What, what kind of advice do you have for that person? Here's what I would strongly encourage that we talked a little bit ago about the difference between primary calling and secondary calling, that the yeah. primary calling on all of our lives that are shared throughout Christianity, we are to be disciples with the fullness of Jesus in us who make disciples of others wherever we are. We are missionaries in a mission field where we are, and there's a stewardship of that. And what we can't lose sight of, and it's why I love the fact that our unique calling is referred to as secondary calling, Mm -hmm. okay? We have to remember the reason God gives us a unique personal calling is for the purpose of supporting our primary calling which is right. to be disciples who make disciples where we are. So what I there are absolutely going to be seasons where we're I'll say stuck mm-hmm. where we're not able to do all the things we want to do where we're doing too many things that we don't like doing and the question we have to ask ourselves in that time is am I being the best steward of my primary calling? Yeah. I can be a disciple right. demonstrating the fullness of Jesus who's making disciples of others where I am regardless right now right now, right now. regardless of how much I'm in my sweet spot or not my sweet spot of calling is nothing more than allowing me to be fully equipped to play a unique role in that primary calling but the lack of having it doesn't keep me from fully engaging my primary calling Sometimes, if I can say that differently, we want to elevate the significance of our secondary calling or our right. unique calling as if it's the primary thing, and it's not the primary thing. So good. The primary thing is child of God, honoring him wherever we are, being disciples, carrying the fullness of Jesus to others wherever we are, and we just get the benefit and the pleasure that if we're blessed to be a hundred percent in our sweet spot that that's just an added blessing but it's not a a prerequisite to carrying out that primary calling todd people are going to want to know more and they're going to want to know where they can track with you and where they can get your book so what's the easiest way to do that you know uh toddwilson.org uh you can get to any of the things um more-book.com is the book site. So more-book.com. And it's a book on personal calling with this be-do-go framework. And then exponential.org is the sort of third dimension, I guess, of my life there. So, Well, we will link to all of that in the show notes. Todd, got to thank you so much. And uh, next time we'll talk about the nuclear Navy. 
All right. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks, Gary. See, wasn't that super helpful with Todd? I, I mean, he interviewed me for his podcast, his Find Your Calling podcast, and we'll link to that in the show notes. But he was so helpful in the way he asked questions. I learned things about my calling that I didn't know <laughs> that I thought was so good. So if you want to listen to that, just go to the show notes, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 111. You'll find them there. And also leave a comment. If you have done something uh, like really cool, like written a book or launched something or started something or had a difficult conversation. Tell us about it in the comments to this episode, because I'd love to hear it. And again, Dow, congratulations. You kind of made my day with that. And from all of you who, who send notes and feedback, man, just thanks. You guys are the hero. You're crushing it. You're doing the hard stuff in the trenches every single day. And I just admire that. I pray for you. I am grateful for you and keep it up, man. Keep it up. The church needs everything we can give it. And God's using what you're doing beyond what you can see or imagine right now. Just know that. And again, if you're a Canadian church leader, check out the Canadian Church Leaders podcast by subscribing to that. Just do a quick iTunes or Google Play search. You'll find it there. And we're going to launch that big time next week. So real excited for that. Next week, what is on tap here? We've got Les McEwen coming. He, I, I read his book, Predictable Success, which had been on my reading list for years. And when I finished it, I'm like, I got to meet this guy. So I reached out to him. He was kind enough to decide to, to come and actually be a guest on the podcast. In fact, we are very close to lining him up to speak at the next Rethink Leadership event in Atlanta in April. His stuff is phenomenal. Uh, you can go to rethinkleadership.com if you want more on that. And in the meantime, you don't want to miss it. And the easiest way not to miss it is to subscribe. He is the author of Predictable Success and The Synergist and other books and a top business consultant. So there's some free business consulting advice coming down the pipe for you. And subscribe to make sure you don't miss it. Finally, we do have a little bit of time to connect yet this year. The Orange Tour is in full swing. And today I'm going to be in Austin, Texas. So if you're at the Orange Tour stop, or maybe you're listening to this first thing and you're like, what? Orange is actually in Austin? Yes, we are. So come and check it out. We're at orangetour.org. We're in Austin today. We're in Dallas on Friday. Then next Friday, we are going to be in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we're going to wrap up the tour in Ocala, Tampa, Florida, that whole region on the 11th of November. So make sure you don't miss that. If you're in any of those neighborhoods, come say hi. I'm hosting a lunch and would love to hang out with you and also teaching there as well. So love building into church leaders. We're going to do it again next Tuesday. Well, next Monday with the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast, next Tuesday with this podcast. And I really hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.